Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. So I have been searching for a clean electrolyte company that I love for a really long time, and I just hadn't found anything that I liked, that I enjoyed the taste of, that I felt good about the ingredients, until I found Element. And I actually got a sample from somebody, and I was instantly hooked. They have really good flavors. They're actually tasty. Like, I enjoy drinking them, whereas other brands that I've tried in the past I really haven't enjoyed. And you can just put them straight into your water, um, and they're so good. So they have salt, magnesium, and potassium potassium in them. And a lot of people don't realize how important electrolytes are for true hydration. A lot of us are chugging water because we're being told that we need more water, but we don't, we're not drinking the electrolytes that we need to actually hydrate our bodies. And so Element is a great choice. They also make seasonal chocolate flavors that are really good as like a hot chocolate. And you can put them in your coffee if you want, or just with hot water and like milk or just plain. I like to drink them plain. I love Element. I have at least one pack a day. Electrolytes are so important, especially for pregnancy and breastfeeding. So if you're lacking your electrolytes, give Element a try. You can use my link, Drink Element. It's drinklmnt.com slash Taylor K. And you will get a free gift with your purchase, which is a sample pack. So you can try all of the flavors. Again, that's drinklmnt.com slash Taylor K. Hi everyone, hope everyone is having an amazing day. Today I am going to do just a quick episode talking about red flags of sleep. This is something that I try to get out there in a variety of places, so I also want it to live on the podcast for those of you who just mostly listen to my podcast um, and aren't on Instagram or anything like that. And so what I mean when I'm talking about red flags is what are those signs Um, that a baby or a child may have something else going on that is impacting their sleep, um, but that is more related to a health issue or a medical issue or something like that that really um, should be addressed if possible and if it's ideal to do so. And so um, we're going to start with talking about what is quote-unquote normal or to be expected And I want to put a huge disclaimer here um, that, and I've said this before, but there really is not, there's a really broad um, range of what is normal. And so when I'm talking about things here, I'm not saying that if your child doesn't do this or your child is outside of what I'm describing here, that they're definitely not quote unquote normal. I also hate that that term 
normal when we're describing our, our children because it has this, um, you know, normal implies that anything else is abnormal and abnormal kind of implies this negative connotation um, that something is wrong or they're different or they're bad or, you know, whatever. And I don't like that either. But just for simplicity's sake, what is more typical um, – what kind of patterns are we typically seeing with babies and children in terms of sleep? Please remember, though, that every child is so different and has different sleep total needs. Um, they have different proximity needs. They some, some babies just really, really, really need to be near you. Some babies do okay more independent or um, in a different room. And so one size never, ever, ever fits all um, with humans in general, but especially with our babies and with our children. So what is pretty typical? Um, if you know everything's going pretty smoothly regarding sleep, what am I? What kind of patterns am I typically seeing? Um, so, this is very age dependent, but it's also temperament dependent. Um, with newborns, there's not a whole lot that is is typical. Newborns can kind of sleep however. Um, some newborns sleep really well. And then progressively that gets worse. Um, some newborns just have a super erratic sleep and don't sleep at night and sleep during the day mostly until they kind of get their days and nights um, in order. And this is all really normal. So, you know, once your baby hits two, three, maybe four months old, you should start to see some patterns develop and these patterns will change. So, if they are going through a developmental leap or a milestone, they will likely have their sleep impacted. They may have a few nights of really significantly disrupted sleep, more than what is typical for them. Um, that is all normal. Having these short periods of time, maybe a few days to a couple of weeks of disrupted sleep, of discomfort, um, increased restlessness, things like this, those are all normal. Because any time that your baby or child is going through a developmental milestone, maybe they're learning a new motor milestone like sitting or crawling or standing or walking, um, maybe they are developing speech very rapidly, maybe they are going through some other cognitive leaps, maybe they're going through a separation, phase, separation anxiety phase, maybe they're teething, maybe they're ill, these things happen often throughout the first couple of years of life. And many babies will experience sleep disruption um, when these things are happening. And so that is normal. What um, I, I said I was going to start with what is what is normal, what is typical. So most babies will will wake every few hours, at least every few hours to eat. You know, it could be every two, two and a half, three hours. Um, it could be maybe your baby can go for five or six hour stretches. But most babies are waking to feed at night. Now, again, that doesn't mean that if your baby is sleeping through the night and they haven't been trained to do so, they haven't been, you know, you haven't withheld food, um, nutrition from them, um, or anything like that, that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them or that they're not normal. But what we do typically see is that most babies do need to feed at night and they are waking every few hours. Now, I always say, you know, a lot of times parents will approach me and say, my baby wakes every X amount of hours. Is this normal? And my question back to them is always, well, how are they sleeping? Um, what is the quality of their sleep when they are sleeping? 
How are they behaving when they wake? Are they super fussy and irritable? Do they seem uncomfortable? Are they restless? Um, and how long is it taking them to get back to sleep? Are they getting back to sleep relatively easily? The quality of the, the sleep and those kinds of factors that I just mentioned often give me a lot more information than just that they wake every X amount of hours. It is normal for babies to wake, um, especially in the context of a breastfeeding, bed-sharing relationship. Oftentimes, these dyads will experience lots of wakes throughout the night. Um, it might be just babies waking every hour or two hours, just rolling over to mom if, if they're rolling over, um, latching for a minute, and then going right back to sleep. And I would say that these aren't even really full wakes. Um, this is just checking in on mom, making sure she's still there, getting some comfort. And this is normal. Um, a lot of times mom doesn't even notice m many of these wakes. And so that I wouldn't even call a full wake. But if your baby is waking wide awake, they are screaming, crying, they are restless, they are uncomfortable, that to me tells me a lot more about what's going on. They're not maybe sleeping as peacefully. There's something disturbing them. There's something making them uncomfortable. Um, and that could just be teething, which is a normal developmental phase that you kind of just have to ride out a bit. There are some things you can do. Go back and listen to my, I have an episode on teething. Um, but for the most part, you just kind of have to let that ride out, ride its course. But maybe it's related to a food sensitivity. Maybe their tummy's hurting. Maybe there is something you can do. So normal waking every few hours, um, usually pretty peaceful, usually not super restless, um, often falling back to sleep relatively quickly with parental support. So um, that might be rocking them back to sleep. That might be nursing back to sleep. That might be giving them a bottle back to sleep. But usually these babies, um, when all is ideal and nothing is really disrupting sleep, these babies are getting their needs met. Maybe that's a diaper change. These babies are getting their needs met and then they're able to be supported back to sleep relatively quickly and easily. Now, what are some signs? What are things that parents tell me that is a red flag to me. And that's kind of like when this light bulb goes off in my head and I'm thinking, hmm, something else might be going on here. Let's explore that. So one thing that I want you to just remember as we're talking about these red flags is that a lot of times, um, so babies are all going to present differently. They're going to have different presentations with the, the symptoms that they're experiencing. And a lot of these signs and symptoms can overlap and be related to multiple issues. And a lot of the issues can overlap with each other. So it's all very complex and, and dynamic and fluid. Um, but so I'm going to go over just some signs, some, some red flag signs. So any feeding issues, if you are nursing, especially any feeding issues, latch issues, um, nursing aversions, um, pain pain with latch, so nipple nipple pain, anything like that, difficulty gaining weight. If there is the potential of a feeding issue, that could be causing disrupted sleep at night. That could be causing other issues elsewhere, so it would need to be addressed anyways. Um, the big one that I usually see are babies that are waking every 30 minutes, every 45 minutes, every hour, maybe every hour and a half. These babies are not able to sleep a two or three hour stretch, hardly ever. 
Um, so if you have a baby, and I would say a baby that's not a newborn, like maybe a baby that is not, you know, 10 weeks and under, there's so many factors to talk about because then I would ask if you do have a newborn and they're waking that frequently, let's revisit the factors of quality of sleep that I just talked about. Um, but just to simplify, you know, if your baby has never slept longer than two and a half, three hours ever in their life, or if it's been like once or twice, you know, on very rare occasions, and for the most part, they are waking every hour, this is a big red flag. I'm not going to say that it's never normal for a baby to wake hourly. I don't like to make blanket statements and blanket generalizations like that because there will always be a baby that proves me wrong. Um, I've worked with families before that, you know, one or two families that we explored everything that we could think of and we just could not find the cause of those hourly wakes and eventually the child did grow out of it. But that is the exception and not the rule. So most babies who wake hourly, there's something else going on. And it could take some work to dig and find out what that issue is, what is causing those hourly wakes. But for the most part, hourly wakes are not typical. When you combine that with the quality of the hourly wakes. So remember we talked about, you know, you might have a bed sharing baby who seems to wake almost hourly just to kind of latch quickly and then goes back to sleep. That to me wouldn't be a true hourly wake because those babies aren't waking fully. They aren't waking all the way up and signaling. They're still asleep, most likely. They're still, they're probably just like kind of in a transition from between sleep states and they're kind of still asleep. So I wouldn't really count that as an hourly wake. Um, but hourly wakes often in combination with discomfort, restlessness, um, shrieking cries. You know, you can tell when your baby's uncomfortable discomfort that is frequent and consistent, especially at night, is a red flag. There's something that's making your baby uncomfortable. You know, I know when my baby's uncomfortable and it's not every night. It's when he's teething. And so that's one thing that you don't really have control over, but there are other causes of discomfort that you do have control over and that you can kind of explore what is going on here and try to get to the root cause of it. So I will just give you a personal story, a personal example. My son actually developed a dairy sensitivity at, uh, I think he was 10 months old, which was really interesting because my daughter had a dairy sensitivity from birth. Um, and so I was kind of, I was aware of the signs. I, I, I was pretty knowledgeable about this because I went through it with her and he wasn't really showing the signs. And so I was having dairy and he was doing just fine. Um, and we had other issues. Y'all, a lot of y'all know if you've listened before, we had issues related to the tongue and lip ties, which we'll talk about in a minute or two. Um, but I just want to share this first. At 10 months, it was like a, a switch flipped and he started having colic at night, like screaming for one to three hours, inconsolable. I would stand up and rock him. He could not be consoled. He would not sleep. Um, he was so restless. Like when he would fall asleep, it was this very broken sleep. Like he would kind of pass out and then he would like cry and like fuss and, and, um, moan. And he was just so restless. I knew I'm his mom. I know him. I know that's not normal. I know he's uncomfortable. So long story short, come to find out he's developed this dairy sensitivity and he's having colic symptoms as a result. So we cut out dairy that improved, but that is not normal if that's happening every night long term. 
On the other hand, I know when he's teething and he has a stretch of a few days or maybe a week or two where he's really restless and uncomfortable. And that is different because that is something that I can't control. And then he gets past that. But if your baby often seems like this and it it lasts longer than a week or two, then that's something to explore. I would explore food sensitivities for that one, but it could be related to other things as well. And so um, I'm going to keep talking about the symptoms and then we'll go into some of the the root causes. And why I'm going to do that is because, like I said earlier, a lot of times they all can overlap. And so it's not just this really clear case of, okay, your baby has X symptom, that means he has Y diagnosis. And I can't diagnose anyways, but um, your baby has, you know, this symptom. This means this is what's wrong with him because really he could have X symptom and it could be X, Y, Z, um, you know, or anything else under the moon that is going on to cause that symptom. Okay. So we talked about hourly wakes. We talked about discomfort. You know your baby, trust your gut. If something doesn't feel right, you feel like they're uncomfortable lean into that and try to figure out what's going on. Um, We talked about feeding issues. Another one would be any type of snoring or breathing with the mouth open for a lot of the night. So pay attention to the position of your baby's mouth when they're sleeping. Is it open or closed? Um, The reason this is important is because our our physiology, natural physiology is to breathe through the nose with the mouth closed. A lot of us breathe with our mouth open, but that's not normal. It's just common. Common doesn't always equal normal. And so there's a lot of reasons that could be happening, um, but it's not, regardless of why that is, it's not something that is good for us. And so, especially for babies and children, because their mouth is developing, their, their jaws developing, their faces developing, mouth breathing changes the, the, those, the development of those, um, those structures. And so, and also it doesn't allow um, the oxygen to get to the brain as much as it should be. And it doesn't allow our bodies, when we breathe through our mouth, our body can't get into the deep, restorative, restful stages of sleep. So this often causes a lot more frequent wakes. So that's a sign of something going on, mouth breathing um, or snoring or anything like that. Um, restlessness. So this, especially for babies that are a little bit older, this can happen, you know, for younger babies too, but I often see this closer to toddlerhood. A lot of restlessness. Um, think of like restless leg syndrome, a child that like not settled down. Um, and again, this is kind of a sign and kind of a sign and a cause in one, but this can also contribute to frequent wakes. And that would be So moving a little bit into what causes these things, iron deficiency. Iron deficiency is a common cause of a lot of wakes um, and restlessness. Okay, so let's talk about some more causes of some of these signs that we're talking about. So a big one to look into is tethered oral tissues. Tethered oral tissues is a fancy name for tongue and lip ties, and there's also buccal ties. So the issue with tongue and lip ties and why, you know, it's almost one of these things that people don't know about it. People don't understand it. It's very, very mysterious. And it seems like most providers who are working closely with families of new babies, um, such as pediatricians and even dentists and lactation consultants, if they don't have ongoing specialized training in this area, they don't 
they can't really do an adequate assessment, but they still are. They're still doing assessments and not telling parents. And a lot of them, because they don't know, I'm not saying that um, these providers have you know, bad intentions. They just, they don't know what they don't know. And so they're doing what they think is an assessment, but they don't know everything to look for, or they don't know the importance of addressing ties. They don't have all of the information. And so then they say there's no tie or there's a little tie, but it doesn't need to be addressed, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really important if you're experiencing any of these signs to have your child assessed by somebody who is skilled and very qualified. Um, This might be a dentist. This might be a lactation consultant who's gone through additional training. This might be an occupational therapist, physical therapist, or speech therapist who's gone through additional training. Um, This might be, this might be a pediatrician. There There are probably some pediatricians out there that have gone through additional training. Um, most of the time it's going to be a dentist, like a pediatric dentist, because they're also going to be likely the ones doing the procedure if the procedure needs to be done, um, the tongue tie release or lip tie release. But um, either way, getting connected to any of those professionals, those providers who have ongoing training in your area can be helpful because they can then refer you They usually have their kind of networks of people that they refer to um, if they can't help. So if you go see an OT, they might not be able to diagnose the tongue tie, but they might be able to look and say, "Mm, sounds like and looks like there might be a tie. Here is the dentist that I recommend and that I refer my patients to. So usually they will have a network. Um, On my Instagram account, I'm actually going to go find the, the site right now so that I can just tell you. But on my Instagram account, I do have um, two highlights. One is called mouth breathing and one is called ties. And within those highlights, I can't remember which one is which, um, but within those highlights, I do have a couple of websites that are directories. They're online directories for providers who are skilled in addressing and uh, assessing and addressing ties. And so you can go there and find um, somebody in your area One of those websites is, I think it's tongue-tie-providers.com. I'm looking, yeah, tongue-tie-professionals.org. So that is one to look at. The other one that I like is thebreatheinstitute.com. And they also have a directory of people, providers that have taken various um, continuing education courses through them. And um, you can go there and find somebody. And then I would just call that person and kind of explain what you're looking for and make sure that they're the right person to help you. But, um, you know, I have worked with families who have been had their child assessed by upwards of four or five, six providers, six different providers. And after the sixth one or the seventh one, finally got a tongue tie diagnosis. So don't think that just because your your baby's pediatrician said there's no tongue tie, that that was that was the final answer. Because a lot of times, and in my experience, this happens all the time. This is so common. A lot of times, this is not the case. Now, I am not giving medical advice here. I do not diagnose ties. I do not I do not give recommendations for what how to address those ties. I think that is something that you have to just consult with a skilled provider. And in collaboration with them, they will hopefully give you your options, tell you what they think, and then you can decide what course of action of addressing that that you think is best. 
Sometimes all a baby needs is some body work. If you find a really great body worker that knows what they're doing, they may be able to help with that tie. Um, some ties just are not going to be resolved only through body work, and they just need the the um, the release. I couldn't think of what I was trying to say. They just need it to be released. So, and I'm never going to tell somebody, like, I get questions all the time. Should I, should I get the, my baby's tongue tie cut? That is totally not my decision. I can't tell you that because every situation is so different. What matters and what a skilled provider will look at is, is there a functional impact? Is there a functional impairment? If there's, if there's a tongue tie, but function seems just fine and there's no signs and they can move their tongue just fine and they're feeding well and they're, um, you know, there's, there's literally no signs, then it, the answer might be just watch. Just watch it as they develop and see if it starts impacting anything else. But if there are any functional impacts, if it's impacting sleep, feeding, breathing, the mouth is open, anything like that, and those are the signs that you're typically going to see for babies, then it might need to be it might need to be released or addressed in some way. You know, maybe conservative conservatively, you try body work first. Um, so I can't answer that question for you of whether you know you should or should not get your tongue tie really your baby's tongue tie released because that's something that I don't know your baby. I'm not a tongue tie expert. I just have worked with a lot of providers and spoken with a lot of providers because this is an area that I see a lot. Um, and my children have had tongue ties too. So. So I, and I have tongue. I have a tongue tie that I hope to get released one day. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's something that you just have to you have to consult with a skilled provider. Um, nobody can answer that question for you. If I will tell you that I have had many, I've worked with many families whose babies have had hourly wakes, and come to find out they had a tongue or lip tie, and they got they got that released, and sleep did improve. Um, it may not have been immediately because sometimes the rehab process for phrenectomies, which is the, the tongue and lip tie release, that's what the procedure is called. Sometimes the rehab process for a phrenectomy can be very challenging. Sometimes things actually get worse before they get better. For some families, they see immediate improvement. Um, but body work is always a good starting point. Most um, providers, most like PTs and OTs and, and speech therapists who are trained in this area will say, please get your baby body work even before they have the phrenectomy um, because they'll just have a much, they'll have their, the recovery process will be much smoother. Okay. So tongue ties, super important. I know it's, it's also like a strangely con controversial um subject, which is so interesting to me. There's a lot of people who really don't believe in tongue ties or they don't believe that there's a functional impact, but, you know, more and more research is being done. And there's, there's a lot of research out there that shows the functional impact. And just personally, I mean, being somebody who, you know, is vocal about tongue and lip ties on my Instagram account, I can't tell you how many comments and messages I've gotten from parents that have said, I did not know my baby had a tongue and lip tie. And we, you know, think, you know, because of the information that you've shared, we finally got a diagnosis and we got it taken care of and things are so much better. So it is what it is. I mean, it, there are so many families that, that the tongue ties and the lip ties did impact them, did impact their baby and they can vouch for that. Okay. So tongue and lip ties. Um, 
we talked about tongue and lip ties. We talked about iron deficiency. We've talked a little bit about food sensitivities, but that's a big one, food sensitivities. Um, a common sign of this one is going to be discomfort, gas. Um, there are lots of other signs. I'm kind of just talking about sleep right now, like how it would impact sleep. But um, I also have a podcast episode with Dr. Trill of Free to Feed, who is amazing. She did. It was from season one, um, but she joined me on a podcast and talked all about uh, breastfeeding and food sensitivities. And that is a super informative podcast. So you can go back to that one and listen for more information about food sensitivities and some of the other signs you might be seeing. But with sleep, it's often going to be gassiness, um, other, otherwise just like discomfort, like um, GI discomfort of some sort. And so that is something to think about. Um, there was, oh, I need to find this study. There was a study that I think was done in the 80s that studied babies who had a dairy intolerance. It might have been a dairy allergy. I'm not sure. Um, and their sleep, like it, it followed them before and then it followed them after there was an elimination diet. So they removed the dairy from mom's diet and from baby's diet and their sleep improved so much. Um, I need to go find that study and share it again because I was like amazed because this is something that isn't talked about as much as I think it should be. Um, and a lot of doctors even still deny that that babies are sensitive to food <laughs> or sensitive to dairy at all. Um, and it's not just dairy. It could be any food. Um, dairy is one of the more common foods. And it's so again, go listen to that podcast episode from season one with Dr. Trill because that one has a lot more information about it than I'm going to share here. Um, but I just found it so interesting because I read this study before and I was like, wow, you know, like we had this information. We had this information even in the 80s. And for some reason, it's still just not talked about a whole lot. Okay. Um, so, and then reflux. So reflux is a big one too. And reflux is one of those things that can be related to almost everything I've talked about here already. So there is usually a cause for reflux. Reflux is not really a diagnosis or it shouldn't be. Reflux is a symptom, just like colic is a symptom. Colic is not a diagnosis. Colic and reflux are symptoms of an issue. And so reflux could be because of a tongue tie or a lip tie. Um, reflux could be because of a food sensitivity. Reflux could be because of any feeding issue. Um, so reflux has a lot of causes, and there's more causes than that that I'm not going to get into. Um, but reflux, even you know, silent reflux too, can be causing sleep disturbances. Okay, so um, I think I talked about most of the big red flags, big signs, and big causes of sleep disruption, especially hourly wakes that I see often with babies and then with toddlers too, but mostly with babies. Um, the one thing that I do want to say too is, you know, so if it's, sometimes it can be hard to know, okay, is my baby waking because they have an issue or is my baby waking because they just want to be near me? And so if you do have a baby that you are trying to get to sleep in the crib, um, or a bit away from you, and you're just not sure like what the causes of the, the frequent wakes, one thing you, you can do if it's safe to do so and you're comfortable to do so is to pull your wakeful baby who's, who's sleeping in the crib right now, but super wakeful when sleeping in the crib, pull them into bed with you and sleep with them. And then, and then see if there's a difference. Do they wake less often when they're sleeping next to you? 
or even when they're sleeping next to you in bed, are they still super wakeful and super restless and do they seem uncomfortable, et cetera, et cetera. And that is going to help you rule out whether it is related to a, like a medical issue or a health issue um, or whether it's just a proximity issue, like whether your child just really needs to be near you and feel safer and, and more comfortable near you and then can sleep better when they're close to you. So that is a, that's a really great way to just kind of rule that out and see if you can figure out what is the cause of this. It's totally normal for babies to want to be near their parents. And like I said earlier, some babies are going to do a lot better sleeping in the crib and they're not going to like wake up constantly. But some, some babies are, some babies are going to wake up constantly if they are not near you, if they cannot sense you next to them. Um, and that is normal. So, um, a couple of other things, like little things that I just want to touch on since I am doing this episode might as well be pretty thorough. Um, this is, this is related to what we've already talked about, but if you have a baby who, um, will only sleep on their stomach or will only sleep on your chest or has to be like elevated, this again can be a sign of some sort of breathing or airway issue, um, or reflux or a tongue tie or something of that nature. A lot of times it is a like breathing issue. Um, I have worked with, couple of families whose babies had significant tongue ties and they could only sleep on their stomachs. They slept better on their stomachs, but of course their parents were scared to put them on their stomachs um, because that goes against safe sleep guidelines. And when they went to, you know, work, have their baby work with an OT or a speech therapist or something like that and get that rehab, they were told that their airway obstruction, the baby's airway obstruction was so significant that they were trying to sleep on their stomach because that helps to open up the airway. And so that's something that I'm hoping to have a more in-depth podcast episode um, about reaching out to somebody to to schedule that interview um, because I think that's a really interesting thing. But that's just something to keep in the back of your mind. Um, If your baby only will sleep on their stomach or sleeps really badly on their back, but really pretty well on their stomach. Or like my son, um, for the first five months of his life would only sleep on my chest. And only if I was reclined, like he could not sleep flat. So this is often the case, some sort of breathing obstruction, airway issue, maybe reflux when your baby will not sleep, sleep flat or can't sleep flat. Um, so just another piece there to keep in mind. So I hope this was helpful. Um, I want to have this information in so many places because this is the information I just think every parent needs to know because they need to know what is typical, but they also need to know if there isn't, if there is something going on that is not typical, where, what areas to explore. Um, For food sensitivities, check out Free to Feed, check out Dr. Trill for tethered oral tissues, breathing issues. You you have to find an airway specialist. You have to find someone um, skilled in treating Um, or skilled in assessing for tongue ties. And you can go to my Instagram, see my highlights, mouth breathing and ties, and you can swipe up to find more directory link or the directory links for providers in your area. Um, Yeah, because unfortunately, a lot of doctors don't know about some of these things and they will dismiss you. A lot of them will. Um, So I hope that was helpful. Um, You know, just remember, and this is why I'm passionate about what I do and not and not sleep training because a lot of these babies that are being sleep trained have true issues. They have true health issues and sleep training does nothing for them to help them. Um, In fact, it can be dangerous for these babies that have airway obstruction. It can be dangerous because they're signaling 
they're signaling that they have a need, maybe that they are having a hard time breathing, maybe that they need a position change. And their parent is, and their parent who is likely good intentioned and cares about that baby, but has been led astray by people that they trust, their parent is ignoring those cries, those, those very important signals. Um, and then that baby might, that parent might perceive the baby to be sleeping better, but we know based on research that sleep trained babies typically don't sleep better than non-sleep trained babies. They may not signal as much, but they don't typically sleep better. And there's no way that they could. If your baby has a true underlying issue that is impacting their sleep, like my son, for example, who had a dairy sensitivity and was screaming for three hours every night and was uncomfortable, me leaving him alone in his crib would not have helped him sleep. He would still be uncomfortable. He would just be dealing it with it on his own. So I just want parents to understand this. You know, sleep is so complex and it's it's complicated and it can be confusing. So I hope that having this episode can be helpful to you. Um, I know it's not easy. I know it's stressful. I've had children with health issues, so I know how hard it can be to get answers. Um, I know how hard it can be to find a professional or provider that believes you, that is um, – that feels like an advocate that is going to do whatever they can to get answers for you and your child. And sometimes that means you are your child's advocate. You are your child's only advocate because it can be really hard to find a provider who will, who will be that. Um, but this is when you need to get more opinions. You know, if somebody dismisses you, but you feel in your gut that there's something else going on, go see somebody else, go find somebody else that is willing to listen to you. Anyways, that is all for today. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor I hope you'll join me next time.